what is going on you guys it's your favorite video game podcast this is brandon and this is blake and we're coming at you with a really really special episode today something out of the ordinary if you will blake do you want to tell them what we're up to with this episode yeah absolutely we're kind of doing a very special bonus episode and we have a very special guest to talk about it so we're going to be talking about the game returnal and our buddy andrew is here to join us today so hello andrew Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me on here. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you, man. And we just kind of want to get, I guess, everybody on the same page and get our listeners to know you a little bit better. So we have some general video game questions for you to answer. Are you cool with that? Sounds great. I'll ask the first one. Yeah, okay. go for it. So what is your favorite gaming console or most nostalgic? Right. The first console I ever had was a Nintendo 64, so that's what I think of off the bat. But oh, I wow. think really the GameCube might edge it out, and it's just total nostalgia here, and I'm a big nostalgia sucker, and those were the first two that I was really on. So I'm a big console guy versus a handheld. I see. That's awesome. You know, I think me and Brandon, I think we both started off with handheld. So I think that that's interesting to have your take on that. <laughs> Yeah, I had a Game Boy Advance, I think, but I really spent the time on the consoles. My cousin gave me the N64, and that was kind of where I stayed. Did you get a chance to play Zelda? I think it was Majora's Mask. I didn't. That's, you know, I dabbled a little bit with Ocarina of Time. The main game that I really was with the N64 was Super Mario 64. Oh, wow. Which really opened my eyes kind of to video games. So that was the one. But Majora's Mask, I really haven't gotten to. But I see now, it's not called the virtual console, but on the, on the Switch now you can play that. So I'm kind of right. excited to maybe jump into it there. Yeah, you should, man. Yeah, that's an exciting title, those older Zeldas. I'm, I'm really excited to jump into some of those myself. And actually, I was speaking to Andrew off the podcast a little bit ago, and he was telling me all about Wind Waker. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that one? Sure. Just because I don't think it's a game we've ever even talked about on this podcast. And you really made me extremely excited for it. Yeah, you know, it's a really unique one. This is on the GameCube. They did do an HD version for the Wii U. I would love to see it ported to the Switch. I don't know if that happens because they just did it on the Wii U. But, you know, it's primarily known, I think, for that art style. I think... There was one other Zelda that carried on with, with the art style, but it was that cel-shaded, cartoony kind of an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And the Hyrule that you're in is so different than the other games because you're not in a big, open, you know, mountainous area. Now, all of a sudden, there are islands and you have to sail around to each of these islands. And it's this big oceanic thing. And it's not until about halfway through the game that you kind of figure out you know what's going on it almost doesn't feel like a zelda game until you reach a halfway point you figure out what happened to hyrule why everything's islands instead of a big open area and then you really they give you kind of the quest to get everything back together something has happened to hyrule and it's a blast you know it really Besides the environment being different, it certainly follows the spirit of other Zelda games, at least the ones that I've played, and just the exploration and the combat and the dungeons and really going through everything and the unique enemies. But definitely a great one, one of the classics, I think. And if you look for a, because I have, I don't have an original copy for the GameCube anymore. If you look on eBay, 
or any of those websites, they're selling for ridiculously high amounts of money now. Wow. Oh, man. About how much? <laughs> I haven't checked in a while. I can probably look right now. Let me, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. That's insane, man. But yeah, you know, what's funny about that is you were kind of talking about, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit today when we talk more about Returnal, but it kind of seems that the mystery of what's going on is kind of a driving force in, in the game. For Wind Waker, I think definitely the first half, not as much in terms of you're not sitting there constantly wondering like what's happening. Like you just kind of understand that it's a Zelda game and you're figuring stuff out and you're going through the dungeons like normal, but you do really kind of get that aha now i get it moment i think it's almost the exact halfway point in the game okay i remember when i was really young and i was playing it i thought that i was like beating the game i thought oh this is it and then it was like no (laughs) the game is just starting (laughs) (laughs) so it seems like they like to do that they like to like because that's how i thought of breath of the in the breath of the wild yeah and i think even with like movies or any kind of medium it, the most fun part is where you almost know something. It's like you're just mm-hmm. on the edge of like, I'm thinking of TV shows like The X-Files or like where it's there's all this mystery. Game of Thrones, I think, is a good example, too, where you're like still trying to figure out what's going on. And then in some cases, once you do figure it out, then it's almost not as fun as when you're just about to get it. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, that, that moment right before you jump off the cliff in, in Breath of the Wild, and you know, that's fun. You figure uh-huh. out that, oh my gosh, there's this whole world to explore. But yeah, so I guess let me ask you this, because Zelda and Returnal are very different games. <laughs> so what kind of gaming experiences do you tend to gravitate towards? And like, what are your favorite genres? I mean, as far as genres, again, big sucker for nostalgia. So, you know, the platformers just, I spent a lot of time with that Super Mario 64 as a kid. And so those types of games, just platforming and jumping around. I had a great time with Super Mario Odyssey. I mean, just phenomenal, you know, game as well. Uh, But then also shooters, big into shooters. I don't mind saying that I can waste a few hours just hammering away at something like Call of Duty multiplayer, which I know is not the most like nuanced video game. Like I hope people don't think less of me, but I do just like to have fun. I think fun is like the number one for me with a game. Yeah, definitely. That like game feel and just like having a good time. You know, I mean, I think that both me and Brandon, we love shooters as well. And I think that you know, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because the last couple of times we've talked about Call of Duty on the podcast, it kind of, for me at least, just me questioning just like why it's fun and maybe just like, I feel like maybe feeling a little bit bad afterwards. I don't know if you feel that way as well, but. You know, I think you got to know what you're getting into, right? You're not going to have, with a modern Call of Duty game, you're not going to have you know, cinema level storytelling, in my opinion, like, you know, you're going to get into a game, you're going to shoot some people, they're going to say, you know, use profanity liberally. And they have made so many of these games that they've really figured out how to make a first person shooter that is tight, that you know what you're going to get. And that turns off a lot of people, because do you want to spend 60, 70 bucks every year on the latest thing that's basically the same thing as the year before? I don't really need to. But you do still have fun when you jump in and you have the immediacy of you can match make into whatever game type you want and you're playing the game right now and it's a good time yeah definitely well let me ask you this because i personally in 
This is more geared towards Returnal. I personally found it very similar to Zombies. Do you play a lot of Zombies? I definitely did on some of the older Call of Duty titles. I'm thinking, well, it was World of War, I think, was when it first started. But then you had the Black Ops games. And in college was right, Black Ops 3 for me. And what I mean to tell you that my roommates would like figure out all the insane, crazy stuff. You have to shoot an arrow at this exact point, and then this gun appears, and you hit this button. And I mean, that was amazing to me just to witness and try and jump into and follow what they were doing. I can see that parallel definitely with Returnal to a point, you know, just in the, there is a roguelike nature, I think, to zombies because it, you know, when you lose, you start back over and you have to kind of work your way out of a map as you progress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that, I mean, obviously we could talk about this kind of stuff all day, but I think maybe we should probably start getting into Returnal. Do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about it, Brandon? And then maybe we'll each kind of talk about what we think the game is and what it is to us. Okay, I can get into it. So Returnal is a video game where you, basically you have to fight to survive on a hostile, shape-shifting alien planet. It's a roguelike shooter. So tune into our prior episode where we talked about roguelike shooters. We talked about Returnal and we go into kind of roguelike shooters and what makes them and some other ones that we like as well. So every attempt at escape is a cycle and basically you can just keep cycling through this game and each time you can like have permanent upgrades, if you will, by doing certain things. But for the most part, you restart from scratch every single cycle. And there is a story to the game. I personally have not gotten very far in that story. I've only defeated the first boss. But luckily, we have a guest here today who's seen the story all the way through. <laughs> Which, you know, is not a usual on this pod. We don't usually have that perspective. So I'm excited to learn more from Andrew here and yeah, hear more about Returnal. Get excited to play some more cycles. Yeah, definitely. Andrew, would you like to tell us maybe a little bit about your experience off the bat or maybe kind of what you think the game is? Sure. As far as my experience, and this is something that really hasn't happened to me with the video game in, I think, years. I got sucked into it hard immediately and really just could not let it go until I reached not only the first ending, but then there's secret ending, and then there's oh, wow. a DLC that comes included with the PS Plus, a version that you download, and that, that has endings. And so I just, once I got really hooked into it, I had to completely flesh it all out, which doesn't happen with me. And it's, I think this game flew under the radar because it's misunderstood. I think... The story that you're presented with off the bat, you know, you are, you're an astronaut, you're flying around, you get a distress signal from a planet, you go down to investigate and you crash land and you have to work your way through this planet to find the distress signal. That's the outset. And on the surface, that's, um, that's just what it seems like you're doing. You know, you pick up guns, you fight these crazy, you know, enemies that shoot you with a million bullets that you have to dodge and use. And the mechanics of the game are fun. And you're like, okay, this is a great alien shooter. But when you die, it's a roguelike. You go back to the beginning. But the character is aware of that. And that becomes part of the game. And I know this isn't unique to Returnal, 
uh, but it really integrates itself with the story. And there's a lot of your Celine, who you play, you know, starts talking about, oh, how am I still alive? And you go along and you pick up these recordings, these personal logs that you as a character have left in previous attempts that you don't remember. And they start to fill in a little bit of the backstory and you start to build this atmosphere that maybe on the surface, this story of I'm an astronaut and I get this distress signal and I go down and I crash. Maybe that's not entirely what's happening here. And that was really kind of what hooked me. And I had to see that through to the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that just, that intrigue of you knowing that you've seen your past self and those audio logs, you know, sometimes they can be on the verge of disturbing and you find different versions of yourself. And I had encountered one particular audio log and you guys might've encountered it as well, where, you know, the main character, Celine, she's like, I don't know who that was. Like, that's not me. Like, I would never say something like that. And I don't know. I just think that that intrigue is, it is very intriguing. It makes you invested and want to keep going, but also, I mean, something that wasn't really touched on is just the vibe of this, this world. And there's a couple different biomes that you experience, but you know, when you get put into the starting area, it's very dark and spooky. And there's a lot of tentacle-esque creatures and the outside of, I guess, the space that you're allowed to operate in. So kind of like the walls are just covered in vines. And it just kind of brings out this horror-esque kind of atmosphere. And it really, really does kind of suck you in. I want to touch on something you said, Andrew, that I thought was very interesting. You said that this game is, is misunderstood. Can you elaborate a bit more on that and, and why you feel that way? Sure. Well, I think number one, the biggest thing that I noticed when I started to like it is I, I'm somebody when I watch a movie or anything, I have to read the reviews. And so I, you know, would watch the IGN reviews or YouTubers or whatever. And everybody who reviewed it right when it came out was really upset because they could not save the game. There was no save feature. And so as you go through, which some of these runs can get a little long, if you have to go do something else and you can't keep playing, there was no actual save feature in the game. And that turned off a lot of people and ended up being a really major downside in a lot of these reviews. And that has since been fixed. <laughs> there is now an ability to, to save the game. And so it's just frustrating to me that the immediate reviews which are the ones you see when you look up this game and when you start to learn about this game their main flaw with it is something that has been patched and so you can now suspend the game you know so that it saves your progress as far as i guess the broader part of misunderstood is both of you have beaten the first boss in the game I think that you start to understand the mechanics and like how the game is going to work after that boss you don't start to get the story. Like the story does not really unlock for you even a little bit, I think until you beat the third boss, which is a really cool boss fight wow. that you really feel accomplished when you do that. And that marks a very defined halfway point in the game that then sets you up for, there are basically two acts to the main part of the game and that ends act one. And I think that reviewers, maybe off the beginning, you know, would just kind of play the first part of it and then start to formulate their opinions. But you really, it's, it's a game you have to let it soak in because it's at that point that you start to really understand 
this might not just be a shooter on an alien planet killing aliens. You know, both of you have encountered the house. All of a sudden, you know, you're working your way through all these alien, atmospheric, whatever, overgrown areas. And then, boom, there's a 20th century house that appears out of nowhere, which is way, you know, way not in the atmosphere. And you go in and it's her house and you start to see her picture on the table. And, you know, it's just it's a normal American house. And you start to uncover more about her past and her motivations and the things that are driving her in addition now to these audio logs you've picked up and there are these alien transcription you know written down symbols all over the place that start to tell a, a strange story that almost seems similar sometimes to some of your audio logs and that i think once you really get about to the halfway point you start to realize okay this is really something bigger and then once you do finally beat the game, what I really love about this is the end of this game does not spell out absolutely everything for you, but it really, it shows you what the theme of this game is. And it leads you up to that point of, this is why we're telling this story. You as the interpreter get to kind of figure it out now that you have all the pieces. Oh, that's awesome. I see. Yeah, I love media when it just kind of lets you decipher it for yourself. What were you going to say, Brandon? I see. It, in a way, it's kind of like video game is a piece of art. And I thank you for answering that question for me. I also wanted to pose the question to you, Blake, and or rather extend it and, and see what your thoughts on that were. Do you feel like this game was misunderstood? Because I know that you definitely watched a lot of reviews and read some of them. So just what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, just right off the bat, yeah, I was extremely excited for this game. It's one of the reasons I bought a PlayStation 5. And for me, just not to pick it up at start was a reflection of, you know, those IGN reviews and some other reviews from some other outlets. And one of the big things that I saw was that a lot of people had problems with, like, in the middle of a run, they'd put their PS5 into rest mode, and then they'd go do something else. And then during the time that it was in rest mode, the game had been patched and they had they lost all their progress on that run because the game had been patched. And, you know, for me, I think it kind of leads into this kind of why we're here and this bigger question of like, are these gaming reviews like, are they good? Are they good for gaming? Are they good for all of us? Because I mean, in a sense, you're like, oh, you see a review or maybe a numerical value at a point in time. But, you know, kind of like Andrew said, the game has changed. The game has evolved, you know, since they were given those initial, I guess, releases of the game. And I think it's awesome that we can come in here and talk about it, you know, in, in a greater depth and also just kind of have somebody like Andrew champion the experience that somebody that was reviewing it under a deadline just never would have been able to devote that kind of time to it. So I think that that's awesome and poses a lot of questions, but... I'm very happy that we're here to, to discuss it. And I do want to say kind of off what Andrew said about the house. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. I was kind of freaked out. It was very spooky, you know, just being in the house. And I'd love to hear what you think about that, Brandon. Like, what was your experience when you first got in the house, as well as any comments on what I said before? Well, thank you for answering the question. And man, I was tripped out when I got into that house. <laughs> um, I 
was like, what is going on here? And I'm still playing Returnal, but the story is just crazy. It's insane. So I believe she got into it an accident, and and that's the reason why she's in this cycle. Is that a spoiler, Andrew? That's a question. Again, this game, even when you do beat it, it does not lay out exactly why everything happens. There is a lot that is left open to interpretation because I immediately beat the game. And I was like, wow. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, wow, again. But then I started to go on to Reddit and started to read all these people have theories. And it sounds like the developers wanted it to be open to, to interpretation. But that's what's fun about it, too, is you do pick up these individual parts of it. You mentioned, you know, something about a car accident, right? Which I think in the house, the scene appears on a TV. There's a TV news report about a car accident, right? Yep. And then there are, through the audio logs, you start to hear about her relationship with her mother. And then you start to hear that she had a child. And you start to hear all of these things start to, you know, little itty bitty things that piece together this like psyche of the character that you're in. And what you start to, and I don't think this is an enormous spoiler, but I will say the main theme in my opinion, and at some point it does just get to opinions. The main theme of this game is grief. It is an exploration of grief. And I think that that becomes apparent to you and definitely clicks at the end of the game, but slowly building throughout the game as we are exploring grief. Hmm. Bad. Yeah, that's that's intriguing. It's very deep. <laughs> no, it, it really is. And that is a deep theme underneath a part of this I don't think we've really talked a ton about so far, and I don't want to hijack the conversation, but one of my favorite parts of this game are simply the mechanics. I think that it uses the DualSense controller so well with the alt-fire, where you push the left trigger down halfway and you get your normal zoom in, you pull it all the way down, you get a you know your alternate kind of you know special power dashing through the environments not only is this a game that really makes you think, but you get to have so much fun with razor tight mechanics on top of it. That is what really sealed the deal for me and was so much, much fun was kind of marrying those two together. That's very true, man. That's something I loved about the game is, is the fact that they use the adaptive trigger, the vibrators in the remote, like it feels so in tune with with the game and that part of the reason is because it was made by playstation studios right i think that may also tie into why a lot of people didn't really get to experience the game as much as you know they probably should have because it's a playstation exclusive so that already cut off a lot of people but back it also happened in a time when not everyone could get their hands on a playstation 5 right right and it was $70, which, <laughs> I mean, I picked it up because it was free on the top tier of, of PS Plus once they redesigned it back in, what was that, June, May? You know, $70 is steep. Yeah, that's how I've been experiencing it as well. I think it's PlayStation, oh my gosh, I always want to say Elite, but it's not Elite. Because there's like the PlayStation Plus, does anybody remember, there's PlayStation Plus Essentials, PlayStation Plus Extra. And I think it's PlayStation Plus Premium. That's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so it's on the PlayStation Premium. That's how I'm experiencing it as well. And I think you, did you buy it, Brandon? I did. I actually purchased a physical copy 
from my local gaming retailer because I saw it and I was just intrigued by the cover. And I remember that we had covered it briefly when we spoke about the PlayStation. What are those talks that they do? They cover a bunch of games. Oh, like the PlayStation Directs or not Directs, but yeah, they're like showcases maybe. Exactly. The PlayStation Direct. And we, you know, they had talked about this game way back and it was like a PlayStation kind of exclusive. You know, I actually, I think this was one of the games that they highlighted as a next gen. I think it is the first, one of the first next gen experiences. And then I don't think you can play it on PlayStation 4. Right. And it's just an intriguing title. It really is. And I think I want to kind of embellish the point more on the point of this is a work of art. And I'm curious to see like what you guys, your thoughts on that, if you guys have any, but I think we should take a, a quick break and resume the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess maybe just to give everyone a roadmap, I think, you know, we've remained spoiler free up until this point. And I think that the next segment, we're going to talk about maybe the mechanics and maybe go more into that because there are a lot of systems at play. And then after that, maybe get into some spoilers. So just to give you a heads up, probably in the next couple of minutes, we'll talk about spoilers, but we'll give you a heads up. So I guess we'll see you after the break. And we have returned, much like <laughs> the video game we're talking about today. And I think Andrew spoke about it briefly, but this game is really tight and there are a lot of systems at play and some really cool mechanics. So I'd like to throw it back to you, Andrew. Do you want to talk maybe a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you, again, flying through space, you get a distress signal from a planet. You end up crashing down into it, searching for the source of the signal. That's your story at the outset. Your ship is completely shot. You can't do much inside there and you just have a pistol and you go out into the world and that's what you start with and you immediately encounter you know brandon was talking about this earlier but just the these really sometimes scary alien creatures there is a big you know horror element to this game and they will drop buffs and and power-ups and sometimes even weapons and you do work your way up with weapons unlocking new ones kind of as you progress but one of my favorite parts about this game and something that turns me off and this is just totally personal preference and i don't think that i'm in the majority here but i think a lot of games that have a lot of different weapons make it too complicated in returnal you have one weapon at a time you can't even carry two weapons at once you get one single gun at a time and as you go through you and you find new guns you can decide whether to, to switch your current one out and that makes it a lot easier for me i think and makes the gameplay more meaningful because it's hard decisions you have to make you know as you progress through the levels but as you use each of these individual guns and i mean this is your standard array of guns between a pistol you've got a shotgun which i do not like <laughs> there's an assault rifle which is probably my second or third favorite you get basically what's a light machine gun all the way up to some very bizarre in the end game you get some really bizarre guns that start to utilize a little more fantastical there's a gun that shoots basically like acid at the enemies and oh, so it's like one, cool. one yeah it's like one shot per reload and you don't have to keep track of bullets or whatever the equivalent unit is throughout the game. Yeah, it's kind of like a recharge and overcharge right. you know, kind of system. Yeah, and as you use each of these individual guns, you start to unlock attributes for each gun that do survive with you 
throughout your run so you don't lose that every time you die you will start over from like the base level of the gun each time you start a new run but you won't have to unlock special abilities as you progress further the new guns you find may automatically just have those unlocked on them which i think is a really good way to because these runs can get long and you end up doing a bunch of them you do still feel like you're progressing with the guns and each of them Aside from the shotgun, I really just dislike the shotgun. I have to say that (laughs) (laughs) they are so much fun and they really challenge you of how to approach each situation uh, differently with each gun that you find. Yeah, definitely. You know, that actually, that's one of my, it's funny that you, that you really like that. One of my criticisms is I wish there were more guns and more options, but you know, you're absolutely right. It does kind of force you to pick one and to continue on with it. What about you, Brandon? Did you you have any comments on the guns? Yeah, it does. It actually reminds me of something that I really like about this game is that there is no change difficulty setting. Mm -hmm. This game is not going to hold your hand. It's the same experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're going to have to play through the game if you want to unlock some of those guns. And it reminds me also of another mechanic I really like is when you defeat multiple enemies, you get on a streak, so to say your adrenaline increases Mm, and there are benefits to having your adrenaline all the way up just as there are benefits to keeping your health all the way up and it's just like little things like these it just shows goes to show that the developers really paid attention to the detail and it's like when one of my favorite mechanics on that is when you pick up a health bar but your health is already at max you permanently increase your health, which is really, really cool. And when I first learned that, I was like, what? No way. You know, you restart the cycle and you see that your health is bigger than it was before. It's just like little things that you kind of appreciate playing through the game and you learn to fall in love with the game. Like every cycle, as you keep playing, you pick up little things and like the parasites, I think is is a great feature in the game. You know, sometimes you might pick them up, sometimes you might not. But my like rule of thumb is if it's giving you the ability to respawn, I think you should take it. It doesn't matter the downsides. But yeah, love the mechanics on this game. Yeah, definitely. I will say just very quickly, these decisions, they're all very, you mentioned the parasites, you know, that's, this is an item that will, it will give you something good, but it will also, you know, give you something bad. And these are all really, you know, decisive kind of individual decisions I think even the game mechanics, and I might be going off a little too crazy here, but I think that even those, the decisions you have to make as a player regarding the mechanics itself, I think feed into the greater theme of grief Mm. and of decisions that you make in your life. I see. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it kind of from that, that perspective, you know, if you're coping with grief, you know, if you do something, it could help you in the short term, but be damaging in the long run, such as like deciding to go out drinking or something like that, or any plethora of decisions. Wow, that's really something to think about. But I guess kind of to your point. I just want to embellish on that a little more. Thank you for pointing that out, too. It's just kind of points out how like this game is. It's deeper than meets the eye, I think. And you kind of always have to keep moving in this game. And that's something I noticed about the mechanics. You can't really can't stay still you have to kind of keep moving keep dodging keep dashing 
And more on that, like the grief thing, I think you kind of have to like face your fears in a way. There's a really cool mechanic I noticed of fighting Frike. He shoots these like blue kind of balls out and these orange balls out, but the blue balls, you can actually melee them. And I thought that was really cool that they included that as a way to dodge, but you could just hit the projectile. And I think it just goes into that like grief kind of concept. Like if you can choose to face your fears and fight and keep moving, I don't know. Yeah. Big mechanic. And I think Blake, as soon as I pointed this out to you, you were like, whoa, is you are invincible when you dash. There is, you know, you're off from the offset. I think it's from the very beginning of the game. You get a dash, a dash. uh, You hit circle and you can dash and you're completely invincible through that. So when you are swarmed with bullets and nowhere to go, you can dash right through them. I don't know if that feeds as much into the thematic elements of the game. And I believe there are other kind of roguelike bullet hell type games that you can do something similar and say, enter the gungeon where you can like dive over. But that really gives you a lot more movement abilities. And to introduce one of the first spoilers into the conversation, upon beating the second boss, which I don't believe either of you have, you do unlock a grapple hook. Oh, that's sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that allows, number one, greater platforming and traversal. But in the same way that you're invincible, when you dash, you are invincible throughout the duration of your grappling. So if you are caught in the middle of something in some of the later biomes, which are a lot more three-dimensional because you have that ability, you are dashing around, you're grappling up to get out of situations, and then all the, the enemies come over towards you and you grapple around and you're just picking people off, kind of going in almost like a circle or a sphere even because you have so much um, movability. And it's a lot of game. And Brandon, I think you said it, It you know, there is no easy mode here. It is unrelenting, but you get those mechanics down and you beat the bosses. And I'm sure both of you, <laughs> Because I know I did. When you beat that first boss, which I think is the hardest boss in the game because you don't know what you're doing, that feeling you get, that's accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, this game really rewards you for your time and investment that you put into it. And I think that that's one of the things that I really like about it. And yeah, just kind of just to continue on with that, you know, what you were saying about the movement, the locomotion in this game is, is really awesome. And, you know, just, I mean, I'm just saying that from where I'm at. And it kind of looks like you on the other side of the second boss, you even unlock more locomotion abilities. And that just seems awesome. I mean, Braden kind of touched on it, like the melee. Like I love how it feels when you swing that sword and it also just looks super dope. It kind of looks like this red iridescent sword. And I just thought it was so cool the first time you pick that up. For me, that's one of my favorite moments in the game is just getting that. And You know, there's a lot of things that you can do, especially just with the jump, the sprint and the dash, you know, aside from the grapple hook. Like I've had a lot of experiences where I'll jump and dash in the air and then do a melee. And like the three of those movements and the locomotion of that whole, those three inputs, you know, in order to like melee an enemy, that was just like so epic. And I love that whole experience. But yeah, I definitely agree. Also kind of what with Brandon was saying that like you, you constantly have to keep moving. And, you know, I think that that kind of <laughs> ties into the the grief, you know, element as well. I mean, even if you're backtracking at some points or maybe going down a side path, you are continuously moving and that's kind of how you have to get through grief. 
is just one step at a time and continue to keep going and keep pushing. That was very well said. Yeah. Thanks for your insights and, and your spoilers. I really appreciate it. I kind of would want to add egg you on and, and ask for some more spoilers. I know you mentioned that there's kind of like a aha moment at the end of Returnal. And I'm just curious, like, what is that? There is, there is. And that, <laughs> that is, I am so hesitant that I told you, you know, we were talking before we started here about, you know, I, that is really the moment that I, I'm very hesitant to spoil. Well, you, I mean, I you don't that, have to, you don't have to spoil. I mean, maybe just like <laughs> walk the line of maybe, you know, like preserving the experience for somebody that's new, but also I'll just kind of like maybe tease it a little bit. Sure, sure. No, definitely. And I think that's, you know, the fun of it is piecing together. You know, I, I don't know if you guys probably haven't gotten to the point yet. This was so strange to me playing the game. I want to say it's when you I think it is when you're in the third biome because it leads up to a specific boss where you start to hear and you start to Celine will start to say the lyrics to the song Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. This is a rock song from the 70s. This is not something you would expect to appear in an alien kind of shooter, futuristic, whatever video game. And then that third boss fight is actually set to a remix of that song. And you're like, what is going like? Why, <laughs> why is this happening? And at the end of the game, it starts to kind of fact that there's a moment that kind of clicks. At the end of the game, you are presented with a cutscene. I will say that all of these things that you pick up throughout the game get pieced together in a way that all of a sudden makes sense, but doesn't completely lay out A to Z what you just experienced and what you're continuing to experience. I mentioned earlier the game is in two acts. This is separated by, and this is a pretty big spoiler, once you defeat, I'm sorry, the boss fight with Blue Oyster Cult, that is the fourth boss. Once you defeat the third boss, the game does trick you into thinking that you've beaten it. And this is, I think, something we talked about earlier with Wind Waker. You think you've beaten the game for a minute only to realize, oh no, we are halfway through the game. And from that moment on, you actually face the second half, this act two of the game from that point. So you get to start every time you die, you do start kind of halfway through the game, which is really nice because, and I'm sure you both have seen these reviews, they harp on number one, we can't save the game, which has been fixed. And number two, this game is too hard and you put too much time into it only for it to be to have to work your way back. There is that halfway point where once you die, you still get to start at the halfway point. You wake up in biome for that second half of the game. Okay. And I actually, Blake, I was telling you this, at the longest portion of the game where I felt like I had to replay it over and over again was actually working my way up to fight the second boss. And I timed that with a stopwatch. It was 40 minutes. It was about 40 minutes. I think it was 38 to 40 minutes that I was putting into this to get to that boss fight and then to lose, and then to have to start over again, which that is 40 minutes, but I don't think that that's worth all of the negativity that the reviews were getting. I mean, people sit and play, you know, games. I mean, how long do people grind out bosses in Dark Souls or, you know, these other Souls-like, you know, Soulsborne games where I think, yeah, it's some work you got to put into it, but 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on that point really quick, I did do a stream, I think it was last week, which is up on our YouTube right now. And I did two runs and I did one run where I kind of died, you know, within the first five or 10 minutes and it was kind of a warm up. But then the second run, I made it all the way to the second boss and I lost. But in that time, I went and I explored the house and I got a whole cutscene of the house and in that run that I made it to the second boss, I could have gotten there faster, but I continued on to one, to find the house, but also to try and see if I could find the shop and to try and get an upgrade in the shop. And that entire screen in stream, you know, encompassing those two runs, you know, the expiration in the house of the cutscene and the boss fight was 48 minutes. And yeah. I think that, it does demand a little bit of your time, but like we've kind of said earlier, it rewards you for the time that you put into it. And every run you do gain something, you know, in, at the very least experience, but if not, you know, maybe one of these permanent things that like Aether that can like kind of carry with you to the next run, that can maybe set you up for success. And I think that, I guess, I don't think that the time commitment is really that grievous. You know, I mean, a lot of games demand your time and some of them don't necessarily put a lot of thought into it and i think with this one you really do get out what you put in so i think that what you said was well said on the pacing what do you think about that brandon on the pacing of the game yeah and like the time spent in it do you have any comments on that yeah i could i could definitely see why people might feel especially like upon reviewing the game and not playing the whole thing could feel like it's not worth it to spend that time there. But honestly, I don't like this kind of trend that's going on where we kind of have to like coddle gamers and make games easier. I think it takes away from the fact that this is just a medium for art. I think that's what video games should be mainly. And this video game is definitely a piece of art and it's going to be explored more in the coming time because it's, I think like the developers had that in mind. They knew that it would take time for people for this game to resonate with us right and it's still pretty early i think not many people have ps5s and people that do are not really playing exploring the vast number of titles that you know are to be played so i think it's going to take some more time for this game to resonate with people but is it worth it? Is the time commitment worth it? I think so personally. And if you don't, I think I would recommend play some co-op. Mm -hmm. Co-op is really fun. You could play with multiplayer. You can play with just about anyone or you can play with a friend. Yeah. It's a great way to just learn something new and in a cycle, learn from someone else and then just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to say two things on that. First, when you boot up the game before you even start, there is a message from the developers and they pretty much say this is meant to be a challenging experience. And, you know, that's kind of kind of the point of it. And it does kind of, I think that that disclaimer at the beginning, I mean, I'll try and find it exactly what it says here in a second, but I mean, like they say from the offset, like this is meant to be a challenging experience. And, you know, kind of like we've said, I think that it does reward your time, but also for me personally, Almost my entire experience with this was playing co-op and that really dominated my experience with it. And I think that it's just awesome to be able to play it by yourself and also have that option to play with somebody else. And 
I had played by myself and then, you know, I played with Andrew and being able to pick up from one, how he was playing and like, I guess him explaining the mechanics to me on a deeper level really helped me, you know, find more enjoyment out of it. That's something that the process could have taken me longer. And, you know, one of my, my notes that I have is I never felt frustrated. I never felt frustrated with this game. And I think that that really speaks a lot to it, especially a game that has a lot of repetition. And, you know, I guess maybe we should talk about this a little bit, but when you move from room to room, every run, the rooms are in different order. So even though there is a little bit of a repetitive nature to it, it's different every time. So one, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on co-op, but maybe, I don't know if you guys ever felt frustrated, but I personally never did. I don't think I felt frustrated with the game. I certainly felt frustrated with myself. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I did, I saw the reviews that were like, oh, you grind for so long and then you start over and you feel exhausted and you don't want to go again. I never felt that. And I think that's just yeah, I never an felt individual that. level. Yeah. What I will say, a criticism of the game, we have been very, I have certainly been very positive of the game, wholly recommend it, 10 out of 10. But I do think <laughs> it is hard the mechanics while they are explained and i do not like games that overload you with like pop-up tutorials and this and that i'd much rather get into it but i do think some of the basic stuff like invincibility while you're dashing or even the like i think you mentioned it a while ago which was the reload window which is like a gears of war kind of a thing where while you're waiting for the gun to reload if you time a button press properly it will automatically quick reload Mm -hmm. You know, certain nuanced things, even the Brandon, you mentioned this when your health is full and you pick up more health, how it increases your max health. That stuff, I don't think I got until I either read it somewhere online or saw a YouTube video or whatever. And Blake, I think this was the stuff I was explaining to you when we were playing co-op and I had mm -hmm. beat the game and you were, you know, just starting. That stuff I wish would have been laid out a little more so that it stuck with me at the outset. But I guess to that, you know, I mean, we played cooperatively, you know, we both had yeah. this joint experience and I was able to get all of that information in a kind of community aspect. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about it here. Yeah. So I guess in some ways, maybe that is, I mean, although, yeah, it can be frustrating if you're the first person to figure it out, it kind of seems that through the lens of time, maybe that was the intent. I don't know. That's just speculation. But Wait, you're saying it was like the intent of the developers to kind of leave it up to us to kind of figure these things out? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they really don't hardly tell you anything, which kind of like Andrew said, I really love when that happens. But I got all of that information, you know, within the first couple hours of me playing just through that, through playing cooperatively. So maybe, I mean, I don't know, but maybe... That was the intent. So I guess I would recommend playing the experience like that if you can. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I got so much playing co-op. Like I've played it single player a bunch. And then when I was like, you know, let me just try this. Just seeing how people were playing and just you just take a lot and kind of taking it back to the overarching theme of grief. It kind of people can help you along the way. You can find someone who's dealt with a similar kind of situation and I think it kind of speaks to that. It's like, you're not alone. You're not ever alone in your process of grief. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's very well said, Brandon. I don't think I would have gotten that personally, but 
that's an awesome take. It's so cool to me listening to you guys when I brought up grief now, like really kind of applying it to these things that I haven't even been thinking about. And I have, as I mentioned, poured like 70, 80 hours into this and <laughs> beat every aspect of it. But it is the, and that's, it's like when you watch a movie and you leave the movie theater and the whole car ride home, you just you keep thinking about it and you go to bed thinking about it. And that's the experience you get with this game. It's just really thinking about it. And once you unlock the grapple hook, you both have probably seen as soon as you leave the ship, there's the exit that you go to, but then there's another mm-hmm. door high up. You get access to that. And that is the Ascension DLC, which is included. I think it's just free now with the game. I don't think, I don't know if it was ever paid for, but that is, it's an endless mode basically where you can just work your way through this tower. It never ends. You just go room to room, killing enemies until you die. And there are intermittent bosses, but it just keeps going. And I have beaten the game and I've played that a bunch, but I still come back to that and keep playing it because it is so much fun and there is so much replayability. I don't know if that's included in the co-op or not, but there are so many different ways to experience this game and they are all fun, alone, co-op, endless, you know, whatever. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't really talk about the value proposition of games on this podcast very much because I think, you know, we love games here and whatever the cost is, we generally think it's worth it to experience something new. But in terms of what you get, if you are paying the $70, like there's an incredible amount of game. And if you're playing it on PlayStation Plus, the premium, I think that's worth it as well. I guess really quick on that. With the PlayStation premium, it's $120 a year, but you have to pay 60 for the essentials or most people pay for the essentials to play online and you know kind of like brandon said it's a 70 dollars game on its own but then if you pay an extra 60 dollars, that's something that you know you would have access to along with like a, a library of 100 plus games so maybe that's worth it for you only you can answer that question individually but i think for me personally i was checking out a couple different ones and i think that this along with other experiences really made it worth it for me personally i don't know i mean that kind of took a left turn there but <laughs> no but i mean i see what you mean it definitely is worth it because you're gonna buy a bunch of games i mean playstation knows that and that's why they put these subscriptions out there for us and that's really nice of them and it's really nice of playstation studios putting together a title like this i'm definitely going to hold on to the physical copy i think it might be worth some money in a decade or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The developer Housemark, which, as you mentioned, was acquired by PlayStation Studios, I think, right before this game. This was the first that they made as a part of PlayStation Studios. They have made other games. I think they even, like, back into the 90s, too, made some, like, you know, very old games. And I started to play some of the stuff. They had some stuff for like PS4 that you can get for free with the PlayStation Plus membership. It's not as fleshed out as Returnal. Nothing that I've seen so far comes close to, to kind of what Returnal is, but it's similar elements. They have some, there's like uh, some side scrollers that are, you know, shooter type games that kind of have similar themes, which are fun. They're more like arcade style games, but you can definitely, I think as you start to see some of their back library, see how they arrived at Returnal. And the Returnal is not a game that I see having a sequel itself. It would almost, I think, cheapen it if they made a Returnal 2. It's just, it's it's not the point. 
but I am thrilled, and I know it'll be some time because this is a high-quality game, but I am thrilled to see whatever Housemark can come up with next. That'll be a blast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm super excited to see what they create next. Do you guys want to talk about anything else, or maybe we could take another quick break and then kind of come back to this? I just wanted to say thank you to Andrew for pointing that out, Housemark. This is kind of like their love letter to PlayStation, if you will seems like and just having that insight is awesome thank you for sharing that yeah it looks like some of their other games are i mean i don't personally recognize anything i think their most recent ones were matterfall next machina resogun i don't know if you guys recognize either any of those but yeah i played a little bit of matterfall just to see and that one it was a side scroller kind of a shooter it was fun but it, it felt more like an arcade game than like a full kind of a story experience game. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll see you guys all in a sec. Cool. All right. We've returned once again in the loop of of Returnal. And I think if you don't mind, Andrew, would you like talking to us maybe about some tips and tricks about the systems of play? You know, and Brandon, feel free to chime in here as well. You know, anything that you picked up along the way or Maybe just something that you think anyone should know, that even if they've played it or, you know, if they're just picking it up for the first time. Sure. I'm more than happy to. And I mean, my number one thing is something I touched on earlier, which once you get this through your head, I think you really understand how to physically play the game. And that is the dash mechanic and being invincible while you dash. And then also uh, once you unlock the grapple hook, you are invincible while you are grappling. It's really, you know, any other game that I have played, if somebody's shooting at you, you want to get out of the way, either to the left or the right or backwards. And so many of the bullet patterns that come from these enemies are in a horizontal line. And so what you really have to get used to doing is dashing forward through the bullets. And that's really apparent when you face the second boss. There's a phase where it's kind of like a blue wall that he shoots out at you and you have nowhere to go except for through it. So you have to get used to timing those dashes through bullets and going toward the enemy while still maintaining your distance. I think that is my big number one tip to anybody that's that's really having a hard time. And that goes oh, along yeah. with... You know what, not to interrupt you, but on go the ahead. second boss, there's this one, I guess, like attack that they have where they have this like spiral... It's like a spiral of shots and it's kind of is like a cone. And if you go into it, like he's wide open to an attack. So if you like go yeah. through, I mean, I think you've probably played this boss brand. Do you know what I'm talking about? That one that kind of looks like the attack that looks like a cone coming at you. I've only fought Frike and I don't think shoots a kind of cone. Oh, okay. So on the second boss, they shoot a cone at you. That one's really cool. So like, yeah, if you go through those, he's like, in the middle of this cone making this attack and he's like wide open. So yeah, I think that that point is really kind of, once you figure that out, I think the game kind of opens up a little bit. So that's a great tip. Certainly, certainly. And I will say toward, I think it's really toward the end of the game, it might appear in the middle as well, but there do appear purple laser attacks that you cannot dash through. And there are intermittent spots throughout the game where they will actually disable your dash. So once you start to use that mechanic, then you have to kind of work your brain out of it just for small instances throughout the rest of the game. But the second point I was leading into as well was it is so much to your advantage not to get hit. 
the game does not want you to get hit. Brandon, earlier you were talking about your adrenaline level, which will increase as you kill enemies in a row. It will max out at five, and every single step up to that, you get increasing buffs. And as soon as you get hit, I think once you get to five, I think you actually get an extra hit. But if you're on your way up there and you get hit once, that resets and you lose health. And so it is totally to your advantage, especially in boss fights. You know, just do what you can not to get hit even once. And a lot of that will come down to your movement. There are consumable items you can pick up that will increase your health based on your adrenaline level or do other things kind of based on your adrenaline level. So, you know, knowing how to use that movement, not getting hit, two really big tips. The third thing I want to mention as well is just really knowing your guns and knowing which gun works in which situation. The shotgun never worked. No, I'm kidding. I just, I do not like the <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> but if you know the assault rifle will fire bullets that will go a very long distance, that is really useful to have in certain situations. My favorite gun in the game, which I haven't mentioned so far, you get maybe halfway through. It's called the Electro Pylon Driver. And this gun is so different because you, you don't always want to shoot it directly at your enemy because what it does is it will shoot almost like a little stake in the ground or in a wall or in an enemy or in whatever. And then if you shoot another one, it will create a laser kind of force field between the two. And if you shoot multiple, you can create like these spider webs of lasers that will damage enemies as they either walk or fly through them. And so you can create traps kind of in this way by using that gun specifically. So it's really knowing your guns and knowing the situations you're about to get into. I have no shame in saying that as soon as I would get to every single boss fight, I think starting with maybe the third boss when I realized like these are not easy, I totally looked up on YouTube how people fought them mm -hmm. <laughs> just to get an idea of like, what am I about to get into? Because I think really working smart, having the right gun for the right situation is a big plus there. And I think those are kind of my big tips throughout the rest of it. And then it's just paying attention to that story, letting yourself understand that not everything is literal. And we've talked about the grief throughout here you know, allowing yourself to kind of your mind to understand that, you know, what's happening is kind of something bigger. That'll give you a good experience. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for those tips, man. Really appreciate it. And yeah. I want to ask you, I guess, how this game compares, or if you think that this game does anything different than some other games that I know you've played and liked. I guess let me ask you this. Okay. In relation to the Doom franchise, mm -hmm. how does this compare? Like, I've personally never played a Doom game, but I know that you have and you like them. What do you like about Doom and what do you like about this one? Like, the differences and can you just talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. And I guess for clarity's sake, when you say Doom, I assume you're talking Doom 2016 and then uh, Doom Eternal, which are the, the two recent ones. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think are the, are the most fair to compare it to the early stuff from, from the 90s. Similar art style, I think, definitely. They're very pretty games. Doom is first person, of course, versus your third person in Returnal. I think that you get a similar experience. Doom is not a roguelike, so you are progressing area by area. And that, and again, I think this is just me, those types of games will get more frustrating to me and have a little less replayability if I get stuck at a point 
and I just can't progress past that single point because I just feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again versus something in returnal. It may take you half an hour to get back where you were, but that is half an hour where you can prepare yourself differently. And you almost have to because the rooms you're going to be in are going to be random. The, the weapons you find will be different with you know the power-ups, the parasites, any malfunctions. We haven't talked a lot about malfunctions, but if you get any debuffs from anything, that will be different. So your whole scenario will be different when you get to whatever enemy, whatever room, whatever boss you died to in Returnal versus something like Doom or really any other game where... I mean, this is just how the boss fight is and you have the weapons that you do and maybe the only thing that's different is the amount of ammo that you have. The plus side, of course, to Doom, and Blake, this is, you know, what you had pointed out earlier is what you didn't like about Returnal. I mean, with Doom, you're carrying every weapon. You've got all your guns, you've got Mm -hmm. the chainsaw, you've got, you can shoot fire and ice and grenades and you have a whole arsenal. So that allows you a lot more freedom in those situations, even though you can't completely create a new character to go in there, you can attack situations differently with all of the equipment that you have on you at the same time. So those are differences I see there. I will say too, I have not fully beaten Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal, so that's hard for me to to get, but I also really just did not make an attempt to follow the story for either of those games. Gotcha. So I don't have a lot to say as far as the story there, but I do like those games definitely. And pluses and minuses. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, let me ask you this as well. I know that we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but this is a roguelike game. And this is a, I guess, a genre that's really in vogue right now. And I personally haven't played very many of them. I think Brandon might have played more than me, but you introduced me to this game called Hades. And that is a roguelike game as well. It's very different, you know, it's isometric and you have different, I guess, attacks. Like it's, you know, there are different weapons where there's a spear or a sword and kind of is very similar to like an isometric Zelda, you know, hack and slash kind of game. And the experience of that one for me is a little different because in the story, you're escaping hell, you're escaping Hades. And in this one, it kind of feels like you're on a solo mission to, to go through hell as well. And I just wondered if you could touch on that as well. Just because also you do, when you go through Returnal, you get these audio logs and you do get little bits of the story. But in Hades, it feels like you're a part of that world and you're interacting with characters time over time again. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on those two experiences. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think as far as Hades, for me, I feel much more comfortable in the third person shooter than I do in an isometric kind of a of an environment. So I have I have barely scratched the surface with Hades. You have probably just in the time since I've told you about the game, really, you know, fleshed it out a little more than I have. But it does, I think, what it does well is that, you know, incorporating the roguelike genre into the storytelling and then having those carryover elements. Other roguelike games that I have dabbled with a little bit, I think earlier I may have mentioned Enter the Gungeon. And that game, from my experience with it so far, you know, really, more or less, once you're done, you're done. And you're back at the beginning. And that's a really defeating kind of a feeling for me 
as well as the binding of Isaac, I think was another big one that I really just couldn't get myself into because that entry level of I'm just dying in five minutes and I have to do this, you know, I have to really work my way through this to beat it. And, you know, at some point it is a get good kind of a thing. I mean, that's why people like Dark Souls. That's a portion of Returnal is is really, I think, especially with that first boss is Seriously. you just have to do it. Yeah. yeah, well, and Brandon, you had talked about earlier, you know, that you really like that in your games too. And so I guess to shift the question, I guess, over to you, because it sounds like you have some experience with roguelikes as well, I guess. Your thoughts on that too might be a little more nuanced than, than mine because I just have a hard time really getting into these aside from Returnal really just gripped me for checked all my boxes. Just like my thoughts on video games, like roguelikes being difficult and not being easy to navigate. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes for a more pleasurable experience, at least for me personally, when it's actually a challenge and, and you're not... Uh, going back to the same thing every time. Like there's always a, a new challenge. It makes it more rewarding when you're at, you actually, you know, like you said, get good, so to say, you actually feel like you've achieved something. Yeah. And I guess, I guess for me, I'll speak on that a little bit. I feel like when I play these games, I feel like I always leave this wanting a little more. I really do come to a lot of games, you know, just for the feel and the mechanics and the fun of it. But sometimes I do like a deeper meaning, but a lot of times... I just want to have a, a good chill time. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I like Pokemon so much is, you know, after the stresses of being an adult and having a, a competitive job, just coming back and just having a, a fun experience where you don't have to think can really be rewarding for me. But there's also the sometimes I just want to play that hard video game and see how far I can get to. So I think that... <laughs> I guess not to bring it back to grief, but, you know, when you play a lot of these worlds, like sometimes it feels like, you know, you and your experience and you competing with yourself are really a big part of them as well, which makes them very individual, but also kind of like we touched on, like opens the door to have a communicative experience. Yeah, for sure. But just more thoughts on roguelikes. I really appreciate Returnal being a roguelike shooter and not any other type of game. I was reading that for most of the development of this game, actually, it was unplayable. So that meant that, you know, this game could have turned out differently. But I'm glad that they decided to take this route. And yeah, man, what a title. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely is really an incredible game. And obviously, you know, it has kind of like we touched on earlier, it's definitely evolved, you know, since it came out and it is a, a wholly different experience today. And hopefully us talking about that is really, I don't know, at least opened your eyes to it and kind of put it on your radar. Do you have any thoughts that we'd like to talk about before we end this up? Any final thoughts from either of you? You know, I think I've said all that I wanted to say about the game. I really appreciate you guys you know, asking me to come on here and chat about it. I do think that it's an incredible game that everybody should check out and you know, be prepared for a really intense situation that I don't think is unfair and that will reward you with something deep and meaningful if you give it the time necessary. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. You know, I think that your passion for this game definitely influenced me in wanting to play it as well, as well as yours, Brandon. I don't know if I would have picked it up if you hadn't picked it up as well. So thanks to you both for, 
progress, putting me onto this game specifically. And, you know, again, thanks so much for being here, Andrew. It really means the world to us. So thank you. Thank you so much. Do you have anything you'd like to say, Brandon? I just wanted to say thank you to Andrew for giving us your insight on the game. I definitely have a whole new outlook on it, and I'm excited to run some new cycles. And Blake, I just wanted to say thank you to you for picking it up and and trying it out and, and getting us all together on this episode. I think this has been a very, very good episode. And I think hopefully we'll have some people pick up Returnal and experience it for themselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I hope that you, dear listener, enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. It means the world to us. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. You can find me and Brandon on Twitch. We have a YouTube as well. And would you like to shout anything out, Andrew? Would you like to plug anything? You don't have to. No, I'm all set. I think the only thing I would like to plug, if it hasn't been clear already, is please play Returnal. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. And have a great one. Thank you.